welcome to Two Minutes About Time, the podcast that takes a look at the Richard Curtis film About Time, two minutes at a time. I'm, I'm Luke Allen, a filmmaker and, and podcaster. I can't think of anything interesting to say about myself. I'm Luke Allen, a filmmaker and podcaster. And what's your podcast called? My podcast is Please Be Seated, and obviously this one is uh, Two Minutes About Time. Yeah. And I am Robert Black, college professor and podcaster. My podcasts are Michael Myers Minute, Dave Made a Minute, Annihilation Minute, The Room Minute, Mandy Sucks Minute, Cock and Bull Minute. I think that that's is it. The secret <laughs> list. Are they all the current ones, or are they? Um, well, Dave Made a Minute's done. Michael Myers Minute is I finished the first film, and I keep delaying getting to the second one because once I commit to the second one, I kind of have to keep going. Mm, that's a good point. But uh, the others are technically current, yeah. Yeah, so this is, to, to the listeners, this is the first time that I've done any proper hosting on a move-by-minute thing, so yeah. there's a good chance I don't know what I'm doing, uh, but <laughs> it adds to the fun. Yeah, it's fairly easy, and you just, you can keep it, you control how simple it is. So I guess a good place to start is, what was your first experience with About Time? I heard about it when I was doing Groundhog Day Project, and because it was like, the description involved like looping back in time and everything. I'm like, okay, I have to go see that and write about it. And so I saw its opening day. What year was that? Did I have a Friday class? No, it was probably first thing in the morning. 20, it was, it and, was 2013, I think, wasn't it? it yeah, out. so I wouldn't have had a Friday class. So I would have gone first thing in the morning on Friday to see movies. I don't know. I don't remember what else came out that Friday offhand. But uh, saw it that day and then wrote about it in a blog later and seen it yeah. a couple times since. I think I watch it like a few times each year, to be honest. Like it's a film which always seems to cheer me up. I first saw it. I was going to say when I was going through a Richard Curtis phase, but I still am. And I, I <laughs> I've, uh, watched the girl in the cafe the other day. That is an amazing film, which is Bill Nye in the lead in like a romantic drama, and it is yeah, Bill, yeah, it's such a good film. I think I've only uh, seen but, that one once. Yeah, it was like a TV movie, but it was yeah. it just surprisingly touching. Well, I shouldn't say surprisingly, it's Richard Curtis. <laughs> but, yeah, it's Richard Curtis. But yeah, this I, I I heard about this film and I was like, I'll give it a watch. First time round, sort of half paying attention, wasn't really bothered. Second time round, something clicked and then I basically become near enough obsessed with it now. <laughs> like the soundtrack is the thing I listen to pretty much every day. It makes dog walks interesting. And I know sort of a lot of the lyrics to the Italian song Il Mondo from the film from the number of times I listen to the soundtrack. Wow. I know it phonetically, so it probably is all wrong anyway, but <laughs> I just... But I do know a lot of the English translations, so I'm sure we'll get to that when we do the wedding episode. Uh, I was I surprised. <laughs> I was surprised watching it again the last couple of days, because I hadn't seen it in a while. I remember it being sad, but how many times it's sad, and it's a certain oh, kind it is, of... Yeah. It's, a, it's an interesting sort of sadness, because it's more like this bittersweet thing constantly, where like, the movie still makes you feel good, but it's knowing that bad things are going to happen. Yeah, and I think Richard Curtis said as well that like he struggled being a comedy writer when uh-huh. people's reaction to it is anything other than laughing. Like There are interviews and stuff, and people are like, oh, I loved it, I cried all the way through. And he struggles to realize that that's a good thing. Like yeah, I was listening yeah. to a lot of interviews with that. And apparently, when it came out, the one thing that most people did is they left or they phoned their dad, huh. <laughs> which I think makes a lot of sense. Well, then he's, that's accomplishing something, yeah. Minute one, there isn't too much to well, talk about. Before we get to minute one, we could tell them what we're going to be doing. That is a good idea, yeah. Because our format is slightly weird. That we can expect <laughs> the show. 
Yeah, so do you think we just cover how each week works entirely now, rather than confusing yeah. everyone on Friday? <laughs> right. So each week, normally, it'll be myself and Robert and a special guest. We just thought we'd host these for ourselves to make it easy and to not make it really awkward for the guest. And so basically, each episode, we'll discuss two minutes of about time with different tangents and stuff taking place. And that'll be Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. On the Friday, we'll do one minute of about time as normal within the regular progression, and then one minute, one of the previous minutes from the film as well, just because the film's about time travel and it's a bit of fun and a chance to sort of revisit and say things that we might not have said already. I don't think we need to do that this week because that'll be a bit weird. There's nothing really to go back to. (laughs) But obviously that will all take place as of uh, next week. And we also have a, a discussion on Fridays as well about... You know, if you could go back in time, what moment in your life would you go back in time to and yeah. how and why? And I'm sure we'll get to discussing that ourselves on Friday. Well, so to be I fair, this to... first week, he can't time travel yet, so it's fine that we don't. Ah, yes. Good point. So when we move into minute one of About Time, we've got, uh, we open with the Universal logo. There must be something to say about that, but I don't know what there is to say about the Universal logo. It's probably uh, been said that being, that thing's been around forever. It has. Then working title pictures, which I'm pretty sure is like it's basically Richard Curtis's company, isn't it? I don't know. It's it, well, it's a British um, subsidiary of Universal. I know Richard Curtis does a lot of it, but he's not all of it. I don't think because they produced Big Lebowski, and I don't think he has anything to do with that movie. I'm just going to research who started book because it was. Is there something about? Oh, Tim Bevan started it. That makes sense because he's always on the exec producer credits of basically every film I watch ever. Oh, yeah, cool, because Working Title did Les Mis as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. that makes sense. I just automatically associate Working Title with Rich Curtis. They did the Cornetto trilogy, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, World's End. So, yeah, basically any of the good things that come from my country are through yeah. Working Title. And uh, I think most recently, a little movie called Cats. Oh. <laughs> when I said anything good, well, not from, not necessarily British, <laughs> is it? I can, I can get <laughs> Anything notable yeah. from the UK. Maybe not all good. I, I still haven't seen Cats, to be honest. <laughs> I will at some point, not in a rush to. But I mean, when all the hype around it being so bad, I wanted to see it. But yeah, cinema tickets are so expensive and, right and now really annoying. It is streaming, but it's like twenty bucks. I'm like, eh. yeah. Really annoyingly, I got a cinema voucher thing for my birthday, which was about a week or two before this all happened. So now I'm able to go to the cinema to see something, and I can't. <laughs> yeah, I think I had another. I think I had another cinema voucher as well that I didn't use. So, I, so I guess the question is, what was the just just as a different point? What was the last thing you went to see in the cinema before all this? Uh, onward, I don't Pixar think movie. I know much about that one. Oh yeah, for me, as I said, because I don't go very often, it was uh, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Um, oh, that was a while ago. Which I, yeah, <laughs> which I I really enjoyed. Like. We, I mean, it's weird because we don't really have Mr. Rogers here, but I was aware of him and I'd watched like a load of the documentaries and old episodes because I was preparing for the film. Mm. And uh, so it, it felt really sweet. And I'd imagine it'd be so much more impactful had I like grown up with Mr. Rogers. I never really watched him. I always was aware of him. But mm. yeah, after the, uh, let's see, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood is the, is that the fictional one, right? Yeah. What was the documentary from uh, the neighbor for? Won't it, you be my it, neighbor? Won't you be my neighbor? Yeah. Yeah, if you watch if you watch those two together, it's it's a very interesting duo. I watched like one of them that was on net, on Amazon Prime. I think it was it, it's you I like. 
it was called. But yeah, Won't You Be My Neighbor isn't available in the UK, which is really annoying. Oh, wow. Uh, Sounds I've really good. So good th- yeah, I've heard really good things about it. I might just order an import at some point. Maybe not now, because it might take a while. So then from working title, pictures, logo, we, get we move on. Yeah, we get the title. And the luckiest um, instrumental is playing over that. Uh, yeah. Ben Folds, The Luckiest, which is an amazing song and very nearly what Richard Curtis titled this film. Huh. His music what I love is, is very the way the title it. card is, the narration starts and it's still black. Because mm. it's kind of like a lot of the time travel stuff is stuff happens suddenly, but you don't realize it happens suddenly. Because he's always in like a dark closet or something. Yeah, I think it's 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 a brilliant opening and I mean, there there are very few issues I will have with this film, so a, a lot of yeah. this will be me saying that's good. <laughs> so yeah. uh, one, it's a great I'll, opening I'll, line. I always knew we yeah. were a fairly odd family. Is a great opening line mm. if you're going to have a narrator. Yeah, I think it's. I, I I think the narration works great in this because narration can be a bit of a cliche at times, but I think well, it yeah. works and it really helps. And a lot of movies character. they'll they'll put narration at the beginning and then at the very end and that's it. And it's like, that was a waste. You didn't need it. Mm. I think this movie benefits from the narration. It does because other than his dad, there's no one he can talk about this with. Yeah. So we need the narration really to, to help with all this. Um, so after... I don't think it would be as emotionally overwhelming or not overwhelming, but powerful mm. because you wouldn't get that thought process. You just have to guess what he's thinking as he goes through all these things. Yeah, like, in watching this film, you basically are Tim, you know? And you can sort of... I mean, I think Richard Curtis does this quite a lot because he did um, Bridget Jones, which obviously, being her diary, makes sense with that as the the reason. But there there is no, no sort of diegetic reason for it. Like, it's completely non-diegetic and that's fine oh yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah then then he says first there was me too tall two and then we move on to to minute two if we're, if we're yeah. ready to i guess well we um, got i think it's worth talking about the visual yes sorry i've got because, the transcript open that's why right yeah because he blends up. into the hallway in this opening shot he's barely there even his red hair isn't like the way they color timed or whatever this sh- shot his hair doesn't stand out, and so his shirt blends in with the, like this aqua green of the walls and the lampshade off to the there, side. Looking look at this as well, we didn't mention Relativity Media. No idea anything about well, them. Well, they didn't have a logo it's, at the beginning. Yeah, we've got Universal Working Title, then we've got Universal Pictures Presents in association with Relativity Media. Yeah, but the Relativity yeah. logo wasn't on the top. Just working to credit. Yeah, it's, it is weird that they're not. What about the star? You know, you could talk about him before oh, you yes, get of course you can. Yeah. You're right. He he is the same colours as the house, yeah. really. There's there's Which... a lot of that in this opening introduction of the family mm. where they all kind of blend into the space they're in. Like they are part of this house. And it's it's kinda of interesting. Yeah, even down to his trousers matching the floor and his t shirt matching the background. Uh-huh. Like like yeah. it's definitely gonna be a conscious decision from Richard Curtis at this point. And it's yeah, it's uh well, and these walls don't look quite that shade of green in later scenes. So it's a deliberate lighting or like post-production work on this scene. It sort of shows how at home and how sort of yeah, perfect his life is. part of the house. Which I guess works with the fact that the song that's playing is the luckiest. I, I think the next thing to talk about is Donald Gleason's accent. He's got a really strong Irish accent normally. 
and can't hear that in this. You'd have a better handle on that than me. <laughs> I've seen him in lots of stuff, but I don't always notice the specific accent. Yeah, I guess I guess from your American side of things, is, is the English and Irish accent not too dissimilar? <laughs> well, when they're next to each other in the same movie, the same scene, yeah, they'd be obvious, but like, do I think of him as Irish? I don't, I don't know if I do, because like he's in the Harry Potter movies, which are very British. He's in Ex Machina, which is Alex Garland film, so it's British. He's American uh, he, in Ex Machina, actually, isn't he? he well, I, I, I think he's sort of going for no accent in it, but it's debatable whether he's American. But that's, that's for an Ex Machina podcast. Yeah, so basically, yeah, at least to me... His normal accent in interviews like genuinely shocked me, considering how British he is in this and how American he does seem in Ex Machina and in um, Futile and Stupid Gesture, which I didn't even realize was him in a Futile and Stupid Gesture until I watched it like the second time around. I don't think I've actually watched it. I know what it is. I haven't watched it, but that he's playing an American, right? So yeah, so it makes it. It just genuinely surprised me with how strong his Irish accent uh-huh. is and how incredibly British he is here. And a lot of people said being a Richard Curtis film, how much he sounds like Hugh Grant, which I can, I can get. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of what they're going for. He's uh, which apparently is completely unintentional and Richard Curtis didn't notice it himself. That's just what uh, he goes for in casting. So as we move on to minute two, he finishes saying he's too skinny and too orange, which, yeah, I mean, I, I like as a fellow ginger, I like how much, attention is just put here and there about him being ginger because it feels real it's not too much attention that it's a recurring joke throughout the film it just they barely even make a joke out of it they just mention it here a few times yeah and i i I quite like that because that that at least on on my part as a as a ginger that feels completely normal and natural and (laughs) it's kind of weird to talk about ginger's experiences but it is it's a it's a it's a thing that will come up here and there. So then we meet the rest of his family. Yep. He says, My mum was lovely, but not like other mums. There was something solid about her, something rectangular. Busy and unsentimental, her fashion icon was the queen. Yeah. Uh, it, the, these are sort of great character introductions that he yeah. gives us, really. It's kind of weird. His mum's like not that significant a character, really, but she still has a lot of character depth. Well, she's similar to, in the second half of the movie, the other Mary, in that they're these solid figures that are, without them, the men's lives wouldn't be going very well. But we don't really get to necessarily know them. And I think that's, that's something else real in it as well, is the idea, very few films tend to have two characters with the same name. And I think it just yeah. adds another level of reality to it. And, of course, adds the, the great comedy later on uh, when he's trying to talk to Mary. Yeah, it makes um, it awkward. So then we meet Dad, who I think we can agree is like the best character in this. Hopefully. He is, uh, yeah. He says, Dad, well, he was more normal. He always seemed to have time on his hands. After giving up teaching university students on his 50th birthday, he was eternally available for a leisurely chat or to let me win at table tennis. And, yeah, I mean... The dad, I know that Richard Curtis asked Bill Nye to do it, and Bill Nye said, I'll do it as long as I don't have to act. <laughs> and, and then he followed that up by saying, basically, he, he just wants to play it as he would be. And it's nice every now and then to see 
Bill Nye being a nice and likable character because it's so rare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, especially in stuff. I mean, he is in Girl in the Cafe, but Boat That Rocked and Love Actually and things like that. Yeah, he's Davy he's... Jones and Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, mm. a bad guy. Who is he in Harry no, Potter? Not... I don't know Harry Potter, no. I don't remember who he plays in Harry Potter. He's in Deathly Hallows as somebody. I don't remember. Incidentally, I am planning this week on rewatching through all the Harry Potter films, so maybe I'll be able to tell you by future episode. Because <laughs> um, I, I think I generally think I've only seen each of the Harry Potters once, so it's my chance to actually finally see whether I get what everyone's going on about. <laughs> <laughs> a bit late to the party, admittedly. Yeah, just a bit. Then there was Mum's brother, Uncle Desmond, always yes. impeccably dressed, spent the days just, well, being Uncle Desmond. He was one of the most charming and least clever man you'd ever meet. His mind was on other things, although we never found out what. He's such a Richard Curtis character, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's completely irrelevant to the plot, but it's fine. Yeah. And we get another um, nice visual, because Tim blended in with yes. like, the hallway and the floor. The parents are both wearing green and they're sitting like the father was out by the trees and the mother's in the garden and they kind of blend in. But Desmond doesn't quite match the place around him. He sort of matches the furniture, but not quite. And so he stands out a little more as like this odd character. And you'd you'd think from this appearance, he's going to be really important. But yeah, as you said, he's he's not. He has nothing to do with the plot. You can guess something about him because he's... Oh, no, he's mum's brother, not dad's brother. So he could never time travel. He's just weird. Huh. <laughs> I mean, he does provide some well-end comic relief. At oh, yeah. Quite serious he's time. so, so confused he, by things. Works that part. Yeah, and it's great. I'm wondering whether it would actually work with this podcast, say, like, if we did it like this, where, like, I talk about audio and you talk about video and then we chat. Would that work? Sure. <laughs> we'll try that. See how it works. People can see the evolution, hear the evolution of the podcast, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, just, I, I do quite like Uncle Desmond. And then finally there was Catherine, Katie, Kit Kat, my sister. In a household of sensible jackets and haircuts, there was this, well, what I, what I can call a nature thing. With her elfin eyes, her purple t-shirts, and her eternally bare feet. She was then, and then, ah, uh, time cuts out. Yeah. It's quite an interesting relationship we have between Tim and Kit Kat. Yeah. Like, or anyone in Kit Kat. <laughs> Kit Kat yeah, has interesting it's, relationships. It's it's just it's a lot closer brother and sister than you normally have in films. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. it's, it's quite sweet. And there is some great banter and plot points between her. Although her plot point that comes up later on is fine, but I always tend to find that bit like my least favorite part of the film, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, I I actually kind of like it. But we'll, we can talk about that when we get there. But yeah, I mean, I think another thing to talk about is just the incredible house and the setting in Cornwall. Like, it's just beautiful. Because I I, I genuinely, just because of this film, want to go down for like a weekend in Cornwall at some point, just for the beach and the house. And I'll admit, when I was in London recently, I spent ages trying to find, and I think I've looked like a photo, but I think I found the spot of the buskers in the tube station uh, a lot of time that I'm at. Well, because I, w- I was watching About Time on the journey to London, so I just paused it when they're in the tube station to find out like what station they were at, and then happened to go that route. And I don't know how I forgot to take a photo. It's very, very busy in the London tube stations, to be honest. I don't know if you've ever been in London and on the tube, but yeah, a long time ago. So, is there anything else to say about these 
few minutes because they're uh, well, going back to my just... the visuals on the family, Kit Kat being the weird one is introduced in a, inside a wicker chair wearing boots and a bikini, mm. which is an interesting I'm just looking outfit. at it now, actually, yeah. And whether it means anything, she is, she's not sent to the frame either, is she, in an introduction? No, and she's tucked inside that chair like a little kid, being all weird with her feet and stuff. So mm. it's, it's a good introdu- introduction visually and with the narration for all five of them. And she reminds me in, in the following shot when she's doing her nature thing. Yeah. It it reminds me of, I feel like it's a character that Emma Thompson plays in some film. and I can't think <laughs> what the film is. It might be Maybe Baby, but I could be completely wrong. I couldn't figure out yeah. who Kit Kat reminded me of because I'm like, oh, I know this actress. And then when I looked her up for my notes, I'm like, she's not in anything. I don't yet. think she's been in anything I've seen. I'm like, why do I know Same this with... actress? Like, she must look like someone else. And I guess that's the other point to go down now at this point is the cast then. So Donald Gleason we already talked about quite a bit with mm-hmm. Ex Machina. And he was also in uh, Goodbye Christopher Robin with Margot Robbie yep. and uh, Peter Rabbit with Margot Robbie. So they appear to be doing a lot of stuff together. Rachel McAdams, what what would you say you know Rachel McAdams from mostly? Oh, I hadn't even thought about her because she's not in the movie yet. Oh yeah, good point. <laughs> we could wait until she appears. Yeah, I didn't even put her in my notes yet because I'm like, I'll get to her later. We've got a while actually. Yeah. Good point. I- I- ignore me. I'm going through this, but I'm also going through like the the cast order. I think we had have we had her name on screen yet. Um. Yeah, I think it was on the screen when they showed the father. I think it was one of the first names. Yeah, it's the mother when she's walking out of the trees. Yeah. Bill Nye. And then, does Lindsay Duncan even get a credit? I think she does. Do you know Lindsay Duncan from anything, really? I watched, I had to look her up, but when I once I looked her up, I'm like, oh yeah, that's her. Mostly, like, I remember her from Doctor Who, because she was in, um, which one she... Yeah, that was the same for me. She uh, in Waters of Mars. Mars. Yeah, and I think I've seen her in Smith. I think that's something where she plays, like, a politician. Oh, it's Sherlock, isn't it? Where she's, like, a she politician was in Sherlock, or something. Yeah. She was yeah. on Rome. Because she, she's, once again... As as I think we'll realise quite a lot through this, British films and especially British comedy, we have like the same circuit of actors in Well yeah. Everything. She did a voice for Phantom Menace and Donald Gleason is in three Star Wars movies, so it's like those are all do a lot of their filming in England. So yeah, these people are gonna be in there. Uncle Desmond looks familiar, but that might just be because I've seen this film so many times. He's mostly a actually... stage actor. He's got that kind of look actually, that makes sense. Yeah. I don't think he had any IMDb credits that I'd even seen, maybe heard, even heard of. And then, you know, if we said Kit Kat, we don't really know anything that she's been in either. So she's in Never Let Me Go. Although we have got Pushy, I haven't seen that in a long time. She's in a Star Trek movie, but I don't remember if she looked like herself or had makeup or what. But I think it's quite good in this as well that Richard Curtis has cast a good few unknowns. Yeah. Because even at this point, Margot Robbie was pretty unknown to the rest of the world. Yeah, this is early for her. I mean, Wolf of Wall Street was the same year, so she had a boost around this time. But obviously, while they were filming, it wasn't. And once again, her British accent's pretty good in this. Like, this was the first thing I saw Margot Robbie in, and I wouldn't have had any idea she was Australian. <laughs> and I think that's pretty much everything covered in this Yeah, for a two. Uh, minute. Apart from the fact that the family... Uh, you know, pretty middle class, which we haven't really talked about, which is a very common Richard Curtis thing. You rarely have the lower class or the poorer people being the yeah. main characters in Richard Curtis films. Because I guess that's just the life he knows. 
and I don't think we can really uh, say anything to Richard Curtis in terms of not writing poor people since he founded Comet Relief. I think that kind of balanced itself out a bit. Yeah. So I guess the point is now, where can people find you on social media and all that stuff? Uh, you can find links to all my podcasts and stuff at lemmingdrops.com. If you want to follow my personal stuff, which is annoying, uh, look up Robert E.G. Black on social media. You can find all of my stuff at lukeallen.co.uk. You can find my podcast, Please Be Seated, on most good podcast platforms. I'm on Twitter at llama underscore bottle zero. It's a very old Twitter and I just never changed it. You can find me on Instagram at the ginger luke. And you can find this show on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at two mins about time. The Two Minutes About Time theme is performed by Ethan O'Mahony and is a cover of the About Time theme originally composed by Nick Laird Close. Two Minutes About Time is a production of Lemming Drop Studios in association with Bottle O Productions. <laughs> <laughs>